I'm going to Luke chapter 6 today, verses 12 through 16. Uh, if you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there now. You can follow along on our Version live event if you have a smart device and want to, want to do that. Uh, it's on page 862 in the, in the Bible's in the chair. Uh, just long for you. We're going to be looking a lot at Scripture today. Most of it will be on the screen, but verses 12 through 16, I just would encourage you to, to have it in front of you. Look on, look on it as we read and just let it, let it do its work. God's Word works. And so I'm going to try to teach from it, but it's really the word that does it. And I would just encourage you to be in it with me. So here, as we jump into it, let me just kind of set the stage. Jesus' ministry had really taken off. It had begun to, uh, it, was, it was well underway. It had begun to flourish in many ways. But uh, let, me, let me say this. It had begun to flourish. He had a large following, but not everybody was excited about Jesus. A lot of people were following Jesus because they longed to see him do what he was doing. Like they wanted to see his work. They wanted to see his power. They wanted to see his miracles. They wanted to hear his teaching. But a lot of people were following Jesus because they wanted to catch him. They wanted to blame him. They wanted to knock him down and they wanted to get rid of him. The religious elite of of the day, they were threatened by Jesus. They they were bothered by him. Jesus had not cowered before them, and he was not not, uh, affirming their views the way they had hoped he would or the way they would want him to. Even Even as he taught and as he exercised his power, he was establishing authority over them, and he was kind of calling them out in every act. In fact, the, verse, the, the, the last verse of the passage that we studied last week says this, but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So they, they had seen Jesus heal a man, a, a man who had no use of his arm, had healed this man's arm and seen this withered arm become productive and powerful again. But because it was on the Sabbath, they were angry that Jesus did this work. And, and, and they were even angrier because Jesus called them out while he was doing this work. Like he was showing them the error of their ways. He was showing them the, the false view that they lived in and it infuriated them. And so they began to find ways to get rid of Jesus. They began to find ways or to consider ways that they could deal with Jesus. So it's no wonder that Jesus would at times remove himself, withdraw from the crowds, withdraw from people, and find solitude in order to pray. And that's really where we find ourselves today as we read verses 12 through 16. Just read along with me. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when he came, he called his disciples and chose from them, or chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor." So here we have Jesus, he's, he's in the midst of conflict. We don't know exactly when this happened. All Luke gives us is in these days. We don't know exactly when it took place. We're not certain exactly uh, whether or not this was a, a chronological flow from Sabbath day to just a few days later he goes up on a mountain or sometime in the midst of his flourishing ministry that was beginning to, to face conflict or that was beginning to get some ridicule and some resistance In these days, he goes up to a mountain to pray. He's by himself seeking the Lord. I mean, here's the thing is that these people were fine to see him heal. They loved seeing him do powerful works. They really appreciated the 
the, the power, uh, uh, you know, the making the sick well and casting out demons. But they wanted him, they wanted Jesus to affirm their lifestyles. They wanted him to affirm their take on the scriptures. They wanted him to fall into line with them and obey them. And that's not exactly what he did. And so because of that resistance, we can, just, we, we can see why Jesus would withdraw to pray. But we don't know what he went up to pray about. All, what we know is that he went up and prayed all night. And in fact, the text, the way the text says it, 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 it seems to have this intensity to it. There's this enduring in prayer. Now, if you're like me, you pray for 10 or 15 minutes and, and you're struggling with like keeping your mind on prayer. Like, I got to cut the grass. Well, no, that's not true. I don't often think about cutting the grass, but there are things I think about needing to get done, right? It, it's easy for us to just kind of move beyond the prayer and think, oh, I got to get up and gotta take care of this and take care of that. I got I to go do stuff. As if in prayer we're not doing stuff. But he went up and he sought solitude and he prayed all night long. We don't know exactly what he prayed. We don't know the content of his prayer. But I think based on the context, the reason I think Luke puts it where he does is that it helps us see maybe what was going on why he was seeking solitude, why he was praying all night long. I think in part he was seeking time with his Father. When Jesus put on flesh to dwell among us, this is, this is the most distant. He had enjoyed perfect fellowship with his Father from before the beginning of time, before the first tick of the second hand. He and the Father and the Spirit had enjoyed perfect union. And in some fashion, in some way, as he, as he takes on this new nature, he, he doesn't get to enjoy that same thing. In fact, the, the Bible, the doctrine would teach us that, that, uh, that in some ways he divested his divinity. He was always fully God, and he was always fully man. That's who Luke shows us this man to be throughout the first six chapters of this, or the first five chapters of his gospel record. Always fully God, always fully man, but not always omniscient, not always omnipresent, not always uh, uh, all-powerful. In in some ways, he's given up some of his attributes. And I think in part, there's there's things that he doesn't know from his father. He has to seek his father. This is is no no walk in the park for Jesus. You ever been rejected? You ever known what it feels like to, to, to go to someone, to pour yourself out for someone, to give yourself up for someone, to give up things for people, and they say, no, thank you? He left heaven for us. He came to save a people who would reject him. He didn't do, he didn't do it without knowledge, but it, but it doesn't make it easy. I think he longed for time with his father, uninterrupted, unhindered, just union with his father. He seeks his face. The question really isn't, in my mind, the question really isn't why he would go away and spend the night praying, all night praying. Why would he ever leave it? I mean, we think about what prayer is. The creator who spoke things into existence, who said, let there be light, and light had no choice but shine. 
The, the God, the, the creator who assembled all of creation, who took it out of nothing, put it together, brought order to it, and established day and night, and who set the earth to spinning, and who told the water where to be, and who brought the mountains out of nothing, who formed man and breathed life into him, that very God who created all these things, in spite of our rebellion, has chosen to be our Savior. And not only has He chosen to save us, He said, I want to hear from you. I want to commune with you. I want you to commune with me. He's given us this grace, this gracious gift of prayer. And we're so quick to run away from it. Because we, quit, we, we, we forget that this is just simply time with our Father. Time with the, the Creator who saves and, and said, call me Dad. It's beautiful. So I think this is what Jesus is after. I think he's, he's looking for time with His Father. I think also in the context, you know, we don't see what He went up or what... what, what exactly drove him to go to pray, but we do see what happened after he came down from prayer. He calls 12 to be his apostles. I I think he went seeking direction for the mission. See, remember this. Jesus wasn't here living his own will. He never, not once did he ever say, this is what I want to do. He reiterated this repeatedly during his ministry. He was not here to do his own will, but the will of the Father. Even the night he was arrested, the night before he was going to be crucified, the night before he was going to carry the sins of the world to the cross, he's praying to his Father and he says, Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus wasn't a lone ranger. He wasn't a a, a renegade. He was an obedient child of his father. And he sought his father and he sought direction from his father. And I think instead of going up to find out who the apostle should be, I think he's going up to find, to, to find direction for the mission. What a, what a beautiful example this is. I mean, so often we, are, we see what needs to be, in our minds we, we think we know what needs to be done. We make plans We implement those plans, and then we start to pray and hope God will affirm those plans for us. I think this is backwards. I think that's backwards compared to what Jesus would have us do. I mean, how how different might it go if instead of, of, of implementation, instead of running ahead, if we spent time devoted night in prayer, just, just falling on our face, prostrate before God until we saw and heard His answer. How different might our lives look if we sought His will in prayer and then began to move? Instead, we... Oh, this is what I want to do, so God, can you make this work? And then when it doesn't work out, we're asking him why he's not showing up to bless our mess. Maybe the blessing is he's letting you deal with the mess that you made so that you'll depend more fully on him in the days ahead. I think Jesus was taking the more humble and proactive approach in seeking his Father's will. 
I think he was taking the, the humble approach and doing what his father would have him do first. Living that out rather than doing what he wanted and hoping God would then approve. Or even assuming that God would just approve because look at who I am. Just as a practical point of application, this is one of the reasons we wrote the letter to the church that we did last week. If you haven't seen it, we've posted it on the table. If you haven't seen it, there's some copies still on the table out by the door. We have big things ahead of us. We, as your pastoral team, we, we believe that God has called us to some things. And I want you to know we're praying about them. But we would long for you to be bringing these things to the Lord in prayer. And I don't want to, I, I do not want to lead this church into something that is me. That, that is for my name, that is for my sake, that's for, for, for my, my, my legacy. That is not what I long for. That's not what we want. That is not what we're trying to do. Brothers and sisters, members of the way, I would long for you to join us in prayer, soaking, bathing in time, seeking our Father's face and asking Him to show us what we do next so that we don't get five years in and, and, and think, God, where have you gone? Why aren't you blessing our mess? Why aren't you making this right? We get years in and have hurt untold numbers of people, many of whom might be our brothers and sisters sitting in this room. Let's pray. Let's seek His face and seek His will that as we act, we can walk with confidence in what He's led us to. I mean, this is why I, I think this, it's, this, it's this foundation of prayer that makes this such a significant moment. Because Jesus isn't just grasping at straws, but he's following his Father's will as he calls these men out, of, out, of, out from among the other disciples. And he says, come a step closer, come a step further, and be my apostles. You see, what he's asking them to do is take a, a bit more ownership in the mission. He's asking them to, to, to step out of just following and learning and living under his authority to actively leading it. He's asking them to come along and not just be a people who receive, but a people who give back to it. This, is, this really sets for us a foundation. This is where we see the process and the call to discipleship actually begin to happen. They wouldn't be the last ones called to give their life to the mission, but they were the first, and they were called to be leaders in it. So Jesus prays all night. He seeks his Father's will. He comes down from the mountain, and he calls out these twelve, and he says, you're going to be my apostles. I really appreciate that he didn't call and say, hey, do you want to, do you want to be my apostles? You see, the authority, the expectation... You're going to be my apostles. Now, it'd be, it would be nice if we could, we could speak with that kind of authority. We, we, we as, as, uh, as not being fully man and fully God, we have to walk in humility, testing and looking for biblical qualification. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew that these men would be his apostles, even the one who would become a traitor. These 12 extraordinarily... Ordinary men would be the men on whom the foundation 
of his kingdom would be set. Let me just give you some quick facts about these about these about this list. There's four lists in scripture and all four have the same names in them. They come in different orders, but all four lists they 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 list the same the, the same names, but they come in a different order, but they're always grouped in the same four. So as you look at it, if you just look back at the passage, verses 14, uh, beginning in verse 14, he says, Simon, P- Simon, who was named Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they're always grouped together as four. Peter's always at the front of that list. Then there's Philip, Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas. They're always grouped together as four. Philip is always at the front of that list. Then there is James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot. They are always in that group of four, maybe just a little different order within the four, but they are, but they are always in that four. And James, the uh, I'm sorry, Judas, the son of James, no, goodness gracious, Seth, James, the son of Alphaeus, is always at the front of that list. Now, not all of them are always called by the same name. For example, Judas, the son of James, he is sometimes called Thaddeus. By Mark and by Matthew, he's called Thaddeus. And, and so, but, but we always see those same names. We always see them roughly together in the same, or always in the same groups, but roughly in the same order. Peter's the first name in every list, in every list that's found in the Bible. Peter's always the first name. It gives us some level of, of, of credence to the fact that he was the leader of the Twelve. It doesn't mean that... Now, now, Roman Catholics have taken that to mean that he was the Pope, and you know he became, the, he became the, 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 the Pope that then all Popes extend from, and we think that that's taking it too far. But we do believe that Peter was kind of the leader among the Twelve. You can kind of see that as Scripture plays out. Peter's the one that everybody knows about, everybody hears about. That's not always a good thing, because a lot of Peter's mistakes are caught on the pages of Scripture and, 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 and will be remembered for, uh, well, a really long time. And, and so... But, but we do believe that he was first among equals. They were all apostles together, but he was kind of the first among equals in that list. But maybe the most significant fact about this list, about the list that are, are, are shared by Matthew, Mark, and, and then by Luke twice, once in this book and then once in his book of Acts, maybe the most significant thing about this list is that there's not a name on this list that anyone in that day would have recognized except for those close to Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this, because there were rabbis that were superstars. There were rabbis that people longed to study under. And in those, um, under those rabbis, there were, there were students that were, that were like, they were known. I mean, Saul, who eventually became Paul, was one of those students. He, he wasn't there necessarily when Jesus was walking the face of the earth, but, but we do know that he was one of those rising stars in the Jewish tradition. And in the way the world perceives things, in the way the world thinks of things, they would, he, they would have assumed that Jesus would have gone to the religious elite and picked out from among the religious elite those people who seemed most worthy. Those people who seemed most extraordinarily talented. I mean, isn't that what we do? That's exactly what we do. We still do it today. But Jesus, this is maybe the first thing I would appreciate or long for you to take home from this whole thing is that Jesus didn't call his apostles because of who they were. He didn't call them because of who they were in in the religious world of the day. They were not perfect. 
They were not self-righteous people. In fact, just think about what he had just said a few passages before when, when confronted by the religious elite, when confronted by the Pharisees, he said, I didn't come to call the, the, the righteous to repentance. I came to call sinners to repentance. And so just him alone calling these people to be his apostles already sets in place that he views them as a people who need to repent. They are the first repenters. They are the ones who are going to set the example in repentance. I mean, if, if, you don't, if you don't believe me, just let me give you from Peter's life an example of how desperately they needed to repent. The Baker New Testament commentary kind of records it for us across the scope of, of Peter's apostleship from the time being called to the time uh, Jesus uh, died and ascended. And he shows us just how desperately he struggled with consistency as, as, as a man of God. It says this, Baker New Testament commentary says this, both Mark and Luke report that it was Jesus who gave Simon the new name Peter. This new name, meaning rock, was a description of not, not of what Simon was when called, but of what by grace he was to become. At first, and for some time afterwards, Simon was anything but a model of steadfastness, or this is a big word, you're welcome to write it down, imperturbability. So he was, what that means is, is hard to rile up, hard to make mad. He was a man of rest. But that's not necessarily the picture we get in Scripture, is it? He was anything but a model of steadfastness or imperturbability. You know, I read these commentaries, and, and I think when reading them silently, I don't think I'd have picked this quote if I had read that out loud first. Just saying. Anyway, on the contrary, he was constantly swaying from one position to its opposite. He turned from trust to doubt, from open profession of Jesus as the Christ to rebuking that very Christ. In one breath, in one day, one day he's with the Lord and the Lord's like, who am I? He says, you are the son of the living God. Later, Jesus says, I'm going to die. And he says, I'm not going to let that happen. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. He, he turns from open profession of Jesus Christ to rebuking that very Christ, from, from a vehement declaration of loyalty to base denial. I would never deny you. Oh, you'll deny me before the cock crows three times. Wait. This is the lead apostle. From, by no means shalt thou wash my feet ever, to not only my feet, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Nevertheless, regardless of his inconsistency, regardless of him swinging back and forth, nevertheless, by the grace and power of the Lord, this changeable Simon was transformed into a true Peter. Jesus didn't call them because of who they were. In fact, this isn't just Peter. I mean, the reality is the night before Jesus is arrested, the night before he's taken and tried and then hung on a cross, he's at the, the Last Supper, which he's instituting this supper that we even remember today. And these, these apostles, these men who had been following him, who had heard his teaching, who had, who had seen his power for, for several years, for a couple of years, at least two years, are arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Because they'd still miss the point of what he'd come to do. Jesus didn't call them to shine in their own self-sufficiency. 
He didn't call them because they were shining in their own self-sufficiency. He called them to be those who would repent and lead others to repentance. And, and, And the reality is what we see in Peter, what we see in his life of what would be inconsistency is that he was consistently being called to repentance. And I'm grateful that he continued to repent. I'm grateful that his name wasn't listed at the end as a traitor. See, they, they were not perfect. They were not ready. So much of the time we, 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 we think, oh, God's called me to this. God's called me to do this thing. And that mean, we, we think that means readiness. The calling of God is not the same as the readiness of the man to go and follow God. Or go and do the thing that God called him to do. There's always this preparation, this time of preparation. These men were fishermen and tax collectors. We don't know what all of them did, but, but, but the ones that we know, they, they, they weren't religious elite. They weren't the ones learning under the, under the rabbis. They had not had any formal training in the scriptures. They weren't even really great at trusting Jesus. They'd seen more miracles. They'd seen them closer. They'd heard his teaching firsthand. And yet, in the middle of a storm on a boat at night, when Jesus is asleep, they think they're going to die. They wake Jesus up, and you know what Jesus' response was to them? Where is your faith? Sometimes I, I think we could translate this in our own life. Sometimes I think we could, we could see the storms of our life. And look at how it shakes us and look at how it scares us and look at how we react in the middle of it up and down and all over the place and we're calling out to Jesus, where are you at? What are you doing? Why aren't you acting? Brothers and sisters, hear me. No, no, hear Jesus. Where is your faith? He died and he rose again. He makes the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear. Like them, like these apostles. Oh man, we're not even really good at trusting Jesus. When Jesus asked them to get food to feed the multitude that had come to hear him teach, he asked them, and he, it says this, he asked them, testing them, he asked them, hey, where, where are we going to get bread for all these people? And, and Philip an apostle of all people. Not even 200 denarii is enough to, to buy bread, even to give everyone a little. And then Andrew's like, hey, you know, I, I found this kid and he's got five loaves and two fish. And man, I, at least it's a start. Until Jesus prays over it and begins to break it and multiplies it. Not only did everyone eat their fill, there was baskets left over. 5,000 men, it counted. The scriptures recount for us. Potentially another five to 10,000 women and children fed from five loaves and two fish. Why, why aren't you providing the way I would expect you to? Why aren't? I just don't see how you're going to get this done, God. He fed the multitude. 
provided more than enough. When the apostles, when the other apostles had seen Jesus rise, Thomas, who wasn't with them because he had already begun to give up, when he heard it from them, he said, I won't believe it unless I see it with my own eyes. And I'm going to touch his hands and put my hand in his side. You see, the thing is, is Jesus wasn't calling them to be ready. He was calling them to follow him to be made ready. We often mistake the call of Christ on our lives with our readiness. And really, what we need to do is just humbly submit under his leadership and under his authority and be made ready. And quit trusting in their credentials Quit trusting in, 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 in the business savvy and quit trusting in the things that man deem worthy and begin trusting in the fruit of Christ's presence in our life. These men were not ready. They were not perfect. They were not what anyone would have expected. In fact, as I picture this group of men, I picture a group of men that would have been picked last on the soccer field out at recess. Like nobody was picking them for their team. I know because I was always one of the last ones picked. I know what that takes. These were men that were picked last. They would have been overlooked by everyone else. We don't even want you to play on the field. Maybe you can go get us water. The religious elite had determined that they were worthless. That they were the ones chosen by Jesus to lead and carry on his work. What an extraordinary call of ordinary men. You see, the reality is, is the credential that they were known by, that they came to be known by as they were actually sent out, as, as Jesus had done the work to prepare them, then anointed and empowered them with the Spirit to send them on. As they were made ready and as they were sent out, this is the credential that, 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 made, that they were known by. In Acts 4.13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, so when they saw the they that's referred to are the religious leaders of the day. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, they hadn't grown up under a, under a, a, a religious teacher, common men, they were ordinary, nothing special about them. They were astonished. The religious leaders were astonished. Why? Because of what they were seeing. They were seeing this courage and they were seeing this boldness, this wisdom that was just eking out of them. They recognized they had been with Jesus. They were not extraordinary, but they had been chosen by Christ and prepared for His mission. They had been equipped and made ready. Even though everyone else would, would have looked over them, even though everyone else would have, would, have, would have set them aside, Jesus chose them not for who they were, but for what He would make them to be. This is so drastically different than what we look for in our religious world today. We, 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 we look for the credentials first and the, and the capabilities first, the competence first. And somebody shows themselves confident and we're all of a sudden giving them responsibility. Brothers and sisters, as, as you look to follow a leader in Christ, the chief measure of his life should be one of repentance and the, the fruit of Christ's presence. 
If you see in him a lack of repentance and, 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 and a lack of the fruit of pre- the presence of Christ, then you should not follow that man no matter how good his ministry looks. I can tell you this. I, get, I, I think because of our connection with the Acts 29 network, I, I get this a lot. I get guys coming in the door that are like, I'm a church planter. I've been called to plant a church. And I say, okay, go scrub a toilet. Oh, no, 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 no. I was called to plant a church. Well, help us take care of some kids. No, 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 you don't understand. See, I was called to do something important. Until a man will humble himself under the authority of Christ and walk in repentance. And the fruit of that is seen. Not only will we not let you lead, I will tell our church not to follow you. Because you will lead them to yourself and you will seek their destruction, even if it is not intentional. Listen, it's not because of who I am, who we are as your pastors. It's because of who he is and what he's called us to do, who he's made us to be. You see, Jesus didn't call his apostles because of who they were, but he knew who he made them to be. They were chosen by Jesus he even reminded them this. Of the night that he arrested them, he reminded them of this. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And we've not all been chosen and appointed to go and be apostles. But every one of us have been called into salvation. Every one of us have been chosen before the foundations of the world. This is Ephesians 1. He comes to the end of Ephesians 2 and he says, You are saved by grace through faith, this not of yourselves, so that no one can boast. But you are saved unto good works that he has prepared for you in advance. You were chosen not just to enjoy salvation, but to go and do a work and bear fruit. This verse is as applicable to you by the power of God through His Spirit and the teaching of His apostles that it was to them. Brothers and sisters, you did not choose Him, but He chose you and appointed you, like the apostles, to go and bear fruit, fruit that should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in His name, that He may give it to you. The apostles were chosen by Jesus. That's part of the identity that he was making them. The apostles were united by Jesus. They didn't really have anything in common. We only know for certain that four of them were fishermen. They might have had something to talk about on the weekends, you know, when they're hanging out on Sabbath. But the rest of them, they were distinct and diverse. In fact, two of them would have been sworn enemies. Matthew was a tax collector. He was an employee of Rome. Simon was a zealot. He was part of the religious uh, or or the the Jewish sect that was was physically causing, they were were insurgents seeking to undermine the authority of Rome over Israel. They were getting into physical conflicts. They were warring against them. And Jesus puts them on the same team. That's like asking Bernie Sanders to call Ted Cruz as his running mate. Nobody does that but Jesus. Because he says, put aside your selfish desires. Put aside your own agendas. Put aside your own wisdom and look at me. He united them in him. He united them in his mission. And so even this diverse group of people who were diverse, by the way, 
not because of their not because of their nationality, but by diverse in their experience. Consider the people in this church. We're not as diverse as I'd like to see us one day in, in, in ethnicity. But we are diverse. We've got all kinds of crazy perspectives going on in this room. And I'm not trying to be rude, but there's some crazy ones going on. Mine may be one of the craziest. But we can come together in Christ. And we can join together under his authority for his mission. And what a beautiful expression of the gospel. The apostles were equipped by Jesus. He taught them. He made them ready. He trained them so much so that, that when they went out, when the, when the Spirit had poured out on them, when they were empowered by and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and they got up and began to preach, the credential that they were noticed by, that they were known by, is that they had spent time with Jesus. May that be said of us. May that be the thing that people know about you. Man, that, that, that man is bold. That, that lady is courageous. She spent time with Jesus. May that be the, the, the identifying factor of this church. The apostles were sent by Jesus. This is who he had called them to be. This is who he was making them, people who were sent by him. This term apostle, that's what it means. Sent one. One who was sent with the authority. One who was sent with the same power. These men, they would go and they, they did amazing, miraculous works. It was so, so, so much power on them from God that people were, were, were crowding around them and laying out handkerchiefs on the ground so that their shadow would fall on it. And then they would take that handkerchief and they would rub it on sick people and they would be healed. This is how much power, they, the power is just eking out of them. I mean, they couldn't sustain, they couldn't withhold it. And here they were. Sent by Jesus as his apostles, with his power, in his authority. Listen, this is something I, I, I want you to get out of this. Jesus' call to come and follow always precedes his command to go and tell. Always. There is no distinction at this point. There's no difference in, in, in being called. If you have been called and saved, at some point he is calling you to go and be a part of his mission to make the gospel known. We may not all be apostles. In fact, we would teach that the office of apostle does not exist anymore. If you've got people going, if you've got friends going to a church where they're calling their, their leader an apostle, then, then you need to figure out what they're saying because we would tell you that that office no longer exists, but the gifting is still there. We believe that missionaries going into, I, 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 would, I would say that missionaries going into unreached people groups and, and forging and, and advancing the kingdom in places where, where the word is not being preached. And I would say that they're using that gifting of apostleship. John, maybe a John Piper would be an example of apostleship where, his, where his, the authority that God has given him and the wisdom that God has blessed him with is, is affecting not just his own tribe, but is being spread over the Christian uh, Christian culture at large, the Christian world at large. We would say that would be like the gifting of apostleship, but, but at the end of the day, he is not Peter, he is not John, he is not any of the twelve. He is an ordinary man just like you and me who has been gifted by God for this mission. And finally, I would, I would say that, that Christ was making these men 
significant. We long for purpose in our life, right? I mean, that's why the, the book, The Purpose Driven Life, was so big among Christians because we want to be significant. We want to leave a legacy. The apostles were significant because of Jesus. This moment that Jesus comes down and chooses the 12 mirrors, that moment where Moses comes off the mountain and establishes the covenant between God and Israel. There's a, a, a beautiful parallel that's taking place. This further illustrated by what John saw and recorded in the book of Revelation. When he saw it, the new Jerusalem coming down, he writes in Revelation 21, 14, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Their name will be written into the foundations of the new Jerusalem. Not because of who they were, but because of who Christ had called them to be. And, and, and there's this beautiful picture because he doesn't just see the names of the apostles. He sees the, the gates. There's, there's not only 12 foundations along, around the wall of, Jer- of this new Jerusalem. There's 12, uh, 12 gates. And on those 12 gates is the 12 tribes of Israel. And you see this ongoing work of God's redemptive work from the beginning all the way to the end. See, God didn't mess up with Israel. That was just a piece of the pie. It was a piece of the puzzle that he had to establish before he established this piece. And, and these things together, God's redemptive work, establishing a people unto himself, redeeming a people out of their sin, and restoring all things, making all things new. These, these men were significant because of what Jesus was doing in them, what he was calling them to. They were the foundation of the kingdom. Paul it says this, Ephesians 2, 19 through 21, you then, then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's you. That's me. That we are fellow citizens. And we, are, we, are, we, are, we are saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. What a significant role God called these men to. One way that even plays itself out today is that we are here listening and believing that our Jesus, our Savior, is alive because of the role that he gave these men. I mean, just consider this. Just just quickly consider this. Every religious leader in, that, that has ever existed other than Jesus has a grave somewhere. And those who followed him, who were witnesses of that leader, would have known where to go to the grave to see the dead body. But these apostles, 11 of them anyway, came out of hiding and began to tell people that they saw Jesus alive. And we can believe that they believed it, not because of they said it. We can believe they believed it because all of them, well, except for John, were martyred because of this testimony. See, they became bold and courageous. Having met the risen Lord, they became bold and courageous. And they stood up. And they began to preach the gospel. They began to proclaim the gospel. And they went to places where they were not appreciated and they were martyred for their faith. They tried to kill John. John was boiled. The tradition tells us that he was boiled alive, but it didn't take. It didn't kill him. So he got out of the water. You know, I can't imagine what he looked like after that. But, but the reality was he was alive. 
And since they couldn't kill him, they decided, that, well, we're going to exile him. And they put him out on this island. And that's where he has an encounter with God and, and writes the book of Revelation. And they were crucified. They were, Thomas was, was shoved through with a spear. They were beaten with clubs. I mean, these men died. All of them died. And we know it's not a lie because if, if it was a lie, then at least one of them would have backed down from the lie and said, hey, I don't want to die for a lie. You see, this is the foundation on which we stand today. Their testimony of the risen Savior. We are the product of that. 2,000 years later, we can believe in a risen God. Because they were willing to go and proclaim and fulfill the role that, that He had called them to. These ordinary men who, who, who were called in this extraordinary way to do this extraordinary work by this extraordinary Savior. We're the fruit of that. And Jesus didn't call His apostles because of who they were, but He knew who He would make them to be. The same is true for you and me. Jesus doesn't call us because we are extraordinary. He places His extraordinary call on our lives. The, the, the lives of very ordinary folks. That in the end we are blessed by His grace and He is glorified in our service. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Do you know who we are in this verse or who we are in this passage? If you're a follower of Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a servant of Jesus Christ, you're not the strong, you're not the wise, you're not the, 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 the able. You are the weak, you are the low, you are the despised. And God blessed I am, and I'm glad I am because He chose me for a work to do that, that, that is not wor- I'm not worthy of, but He has given me grace that I can relish in. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus. This is our hope, not our extraordinary perspective about who we are, but His extraordinary call on our lives. Because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Do you see what He's making us? He became wisdom from God. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. This is our hope, brothers and sisters. This is our call. So, go tell your story. Your ordinary story about an ordinary life called upon by an extraordinary God. You know who you were before. You know how you were low and you were weak. And you were despised. And only you know how He is working in your life today. To make you able to tell others about his extraordinary work. Go proclaim the gospel. If you have been saved by believing the gospel, then you know enough to tell others so that they might be saved. We believe this lie that we have to answer all the questions. That's a lie. The answers to the questions are not the power of God unto life. Paul says the gospel, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto life. All we have to know is the gospel. Preach and proclaim the gospel, and people will be 
saved. Go! Because we have been given this extraordinary call, go unite together in this mission. Do it in your community groups. Do it in your neighborhoods. Do it every Sunday morning. We have an opportunity to come together every Sunday morning in a culture that is extremely church, that believes that church happens in a place and at a certain time of the week. And I want you to come and I want you to receive and I'm going to work hard to bring truth and and light in these sermons so that you can receive and you can be blessed and you can be grown and you can be challenged. But brothers and sisters, I would call you to come and join together and unite together in this time on this mission. Right now we have the perfect example right across the the parking lot in the house uh, on our property. We have the opportunity to do gospel work for our families, for our brothers and sisters in Christ who have had children who need to hear the gospel. This is not a replacement for the parents. It is a a supplement to stand together for gospel mission that our children, our very primary mission field, that our children might hear of the goodness of God and one day be called by his extraordinary voice to go and tell others. Ah, this is it. So let's unite together in this. Let's stand together serving one another, loving one another, blessing one another in this moment. And brothers and sisters, let me start, let me end where we started. Go and pray. Go and pray for those who are proclaiming. Go and pray for God's guidance. Go and pray that you might sit in his presence. In his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, John Piper writes this, Life is war. That's not all it is, but it is always that. Our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. Brothers and sisters, we we have the opportunity to know God's will, to walk in God's will, to be a part of depending on God's will. Let's go and let's pray for the work that he's called us to do. Jesus didn't call his apostles because of who they were, but he knew who he would make them to be. The same is true for you and me. He gives us a story to tell. He gives us a gospel to proclaim. He gives us a reason to unite. And he gives us a mission to pray about. So let's go get it done. Let's pray. Father, I don't even know except to say thank you. How grateful I am that your grace would give me with responsibility. That by your grace we would be endowed with your work and blessed with your purposes. Thank you. Thank you for not calling a bunch of uh, elite leaders to do your work. Not calling a bunch of extraordinary people. But using the very ordinary. and given us extraordinary purpose. Thank you. We are grateful. Just ask that you'd help us to walk in it. 
Help us to believe you more fully. Help us to stand in it more completely. Help us to walk with you and go before us, Father, so that we can go with confidence and courage. It's all these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.